0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio message from the pulpit of Gospel Light Baptist Church. Our church is led by Pastor Brent Lennantyne, pastor is celebrating his 28th year of ministry in the greater Albuquerque area. We want to invite you to be our guests at an upcoming service. We are confident that you will find Gospel Light to be friendly, accepting, and challenging. You'll find the music to be exciting and heart-stirring, the challenge ministry to be engaging and spiritual, and the preaching to be biblical and practical. We hope to see you soon. James in chapter number four, the Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust? that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not. This is a verse we've spoken of so often. You have not. Why now? Because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, this is spiritual adultery on God. Ye adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. That's not exactly the message of the power of positive thinking crowd, is it? (laughs) Life wasn't intended to all be just big grins, amen? There are some things that are important enough to weep over, amen? There's some things we ought to be brokenhearted about, amen? It can't all just be laughter and big grins and and sermons, just joke, and just yucking it up and everything. It can't all only be that because obviously it's it's way too serious for that. Because the Bible says, be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And then it says, humble yourselves, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless and ask that you would lead and guide and direct now and this time, Lord, we're so thankful for all of what you've done. Lord, I want to pray that you would just really help us and bless and speak to our hearts now in this time. Just, just really help us and, and, and challenge us now and, and draw us closer to you. And we'll thank you for this, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was actually, and many of you have heard of this before, but it was back in 1898, so well over 100 years ago, that H.G. Wells wrote a book that was titled, that he titled it, The War of the Worlds. In this, it told about a Martian attack... Uh, on the earth. Uh, And then in October, of uh, October the 30th actually, in 1938, Orson Welles, and so we now come 40 years forward from that, Orson Welles, along with the Mercury Theater, uh, brought this whole book and brought Orson Welles back to instant fame again. What they did was the radio of course had launched and was a big deal and people had the radio and a lot of people listened and tuned into the radio and everything uh, and it was a way for them to get information and a way for them to get entertainment. So what happened was what without any kind of a introduction, without any kind of an explanation at the beginning, Orson Welles just goes in and starts telling a summarized version of his book of the War of the Worlds. And he talks about the attack, and he talks about Martians, and he talks about uh, that we as the Earth are under, under attack, and uh, as he told that, uh, it was so gripping uh, that fear spread throughout masses of people, panic uh, ensued, and as it said that many people uh, for fear of actually being tormented by martians in that actually killed themselves some jumped to their death and others in great acts of panic did uh, many uh, <coughs> outrageous types of things they were prompted uh by, by that they're motivated towards doing a number of outrageous things in fact it was so uh, effective that the mili- military actually took the book and then they took the radio broadcast the radio program then they took the records, the, the records, the records of people 's responses to that, and they studied that, and they said, "How might we be able to introduce or to bring mass panic on a country that we are going into attack because it actually was so very effective that they studied that, how they might best be able to reproduce that same thing themselves, and here we see a, a biblical account of that. And the biblical account of that is that we see this matter of wars, and really the wars of the world. And you could go through and look at any one of those wars that you'd want to, if it was a revolutionary war, if it was a civil war, if it was World War I or World War II, if you'd go back through history and look at any one of the wars. The Bible answers for that question specifically, and it says, from whence come? Where do these wars and where do these fightings come from? And then the Bible goes into this, and it talks about the matter of wars, the matter of uh, wars that are... Happen because of the curse of sin, and world wars that happen because of our flesh and because of our fleshly nature and because of uh, of our fleshly desires that wars are spawned from that and fightings and arguments are spawned from that from pridefulness and from uh, just strifes that arise up out of the hearts of men and women and young people and so we'll deal with these matters of wars it's interesting because james is such a practical book and it talks about Uh, just the character and nature of man. And it talks also in a very practical way about, as believers, how we can live for God. It contrasts for us uh, problems of the flesh, like the tongue, and then in turn it compares that or or it instructs us about how it is that we might do right as a child of God. But it gives to us, again, these different wars. We'll see right there in verse number one, from whence come wars and fightings among you. And then it goes down and it says that you lust, you kill, you desire, uh, and you have and you want to have these things. It says in verse number four, you adulterers and adulteresses know you not that friendship uh, with the world is enemy with God. And so it talks to us there about really, you'd say, a war of Of envy... Wars that are created because of jealousy and envy and because of one people desiring and coveting after and wanting what somebody else has. There's also wars that happen in the spiritual sense where we ultimately are standing up in rebellion against God, the great God of heaven, so that we might in turn do our own thing. And James tells us, and just to list some of these things, in James chapter 1 and then in verse number 19, the Bible says, uh, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then it says this in verse number 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so there's wars of the flesh there where it talks about people fighting one with another uh, because of this wrath and a wrathfulness that people would have one towards another. There's a class warfare in chapter 2 in verse number 6. But ye have despised the poor. Do not the rich man oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat. And so there is a class warfare that takes place between the haves and the have nots and the haves looking down on the have nots and the have nots being envious and jealous, critical towards anyone that has. Uh, And so there's a division that takes place because of that. There can be war of words, like we said a moment ago, that deals with the matter uh, of the tongue in chapter number three. And in verse number five, the Bible says, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen? Uh, that was chapter 2. Chapter 3 and verse number 5. Uh, even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. So the tongue uh, is full of pride. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body. And it is set on fire, uh, uh, set on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. And so there is uh, the, the war of words and that is the tongue and pridefulness uh, boasts and lifts up itself and says divisive uh, words and uh, creates divisions uh, between uh, people. The tongue causes many fights and arguments. The tongue even causes many wars. In verse 14 of chapter three, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart That is nothing to brag about because it is a war of strife and a battle that is taking place within your heart that God cannot honor and that God cannot bless. And so there are these wars that exist today. The Bible defines them for us. And the Bible in the book of James says to us that there there are wars and strife and fighting and division that takes place In this world that we live in, we need to understand that and we need to be aware of that. We need to understand that that strife and division happens. When you're in chapter number three, it talks about our tongue. And the Bible asks this question. It says of the tongue, it says that no man can tame. When I had taught through this some time ago and we were dealing with this matter, I said, you have got to come to the point where you understand that you cannot control your tongue you must have God's help. And so we understand then that we need God uh, in order to be able to uh, win some of these battles or wars that are raging and the wars that take place. So first off, we wanna understand about the existence of wars, and that is that because of this curse of sin in this world that we live in, there's divisiveness and and hatred and backbiting and strife that comes uh, in many different ways, in many different avenues. Uh, There certainly is a war that is raging. Listen. If if you wouldn't have believed this, just many years ago, uh, you cannot see any news um, uh, agency or any news report now that doesn't tell about just the hatred and the vileness that is taking place all around our country. Divisions between conservatives and Republicans and Democrats and uh, and. Um, uh, in, in, in Republicans and conservatives and liberals and that. Uh, and on either side of the aisle there is this uh, great division and just a constant battle and a resist, resist, resist all the time and just a constant battle that is taking place. Uh, and, uh, and the war of words and the wicked things that are being said, uh, it just is on the increase and is growing. But God doesn't simply tell us that there is a problem, He goes further than that and he tells us where the problem comes from. Now I wanna show to you from the Bible three areas or three sources of where the problem comes from, and I want you to understand that this is God's word, number one, and number two, it's really good. I mean, it nails it right on. It is very accurate, and so we need to take this to heart. We need to understand uh, why there are arguments, and why is there strife, and why is there divisiveness that happens and takes place, and why is it so prevalent? Why is there so much divisiveness and fights and arguments uh, and just wrong or wicked things said about other people. Where, why does it happen? Where does it come from? And so God tells us where it comes from. And so we need to take note of that. The Bible tells us first about where these wars come from. It tells us, as we looked in verse number one, from whence come wars and fightings among you? And then here's the answer. Come they not hence, or do they not come from or even of your lusts? your lusts that war in your members. So the Bible tells us, first and foremost, that the origin of these fightings and of these wars and and just of the divisiveness and just the mean-spiritedness one towards another, the Bible says that the primary place that that comes from is from our lusts. This matter of uh, desires that we have, uh, sensual types of desires, or uh, desires to have and, and, and to want more and bigger and better. Uh, and so there's those desires that we have from, the, from our flesh that wants pleasure, that's looking out for number one, that wants to take care of itself. And, and so there are lusts, and from those lusts is where the wars take place, Adam and Eve, Uh, Bore And Eve bore Cain and Abel, two brothers then that rose up, the one against the other. And one brother killed the other brother. The Bible said, wherefore, because his deeds were evil. But he was mad and jealous at his brother. And he killed his brother because of lust in his own heart. I want to say that part of those lusts deals with with covetousness. The tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet of thy neighbor's house or of his goods and the things that he has and possesses. So it tells us now in verse number two, you lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot attain. You fight in war, yet you have not. You have not, the Bible says, because you ask not. And so under this category of lust. There's the matter of covetousness, and that covetousness is just greed and desire to be able to have something that you don't have that somebody else has from the Commandments In Exodus 20, in verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and, nor his uh, manservants, nor his maidservants, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And so God tells us then that uh, we are not to covet. And the, the jealousy, the envy, and the desire to have something that somebody else has is a strong passion and a strong motivator that motivates us to, uh, to take advantage of others or to hurt others uh, in different ways. The Bible says to let us be content with such things as we have. And one of the great truths of the Christian life is learn to be able to rejoice and to be thankful for what it is that you already have. And we need to understand as a Christian that we really don't deserve something better, something new, something more, if we cannot be thankful for what it is that we already have. And it's just a decision for you to make. I know that years ago, when I had um, just got into church, and we were in Hawthorne Baptist Church in Northeast Atlanta, and there was a a lady there, uh, and uh, she went to uh, Belize, uh, and um, uh, and she was a single lady, and she went and worked with another missionary family, and she went there to Belize. And she was out from our church, and after she had been there for some time, she came back, and she gave a report again. Actually, she had gone on, a, uh, on uh, just a, um, uh, a, a, a trip uh, uh, to, to look at the area uh, in that and decide, understand what it was that she needed and everything. So she went on a survey trip that was there. And when she came back, and she was raising support in order to be able to go, Uh, To Belize and to work with the children and with the women there uh, in Belize. And um, as she had arrived there, the missionary, his wife and family was there to uh, greet her at the airport and to bring her back uh, to the church, the missionary site there. Uh, and as she got back there, there were a number of people that were waiting to, to greet her. her name was Carlin. they were waiting there to greet her and they were so excited. And, and as, so, as soon as they brought her forward and they introduced her to all the, uh, uh, the native Belize people and those Christians that were part of the church, there was a little girl that was about eight years old and she ran up and she just hugged Carlin, and wouldn't let go of her leg, just hugged her around her leg and, and wouldn't let go. And, um, Uh, So Carla was moving here and moving there and she was on her leg (laughs) the whole time and she had told her that she was praying for her to come and she was so glad that she was there. After she had met several people and talked with them, the little girl clinging to her side, after everyone had left from there, the little girl said to Carla, would you like to see where I live? Would you like to see my house? And uh, Carla, just being uh, polite and kind to the girl, said, yes, I would. So she took her and led her through a path in the, uh, in the forest and really over quite a long distance. And she came to a little hut that was nothing at all. It was just uh, uh, sticks and straw and mud and that uh, on the outside. And it was just very, very, very primitive. Uh, they had managed to be able to have a cloth, just kind of an old tattered cloth, across the opening in the front and that was their front door. And so she takes this missionary lady Carla inside of her house and uh, very small and just a, a a dirt floor there. And she introduced her to her mother. Uh, and to her father and that. And she's showing her all the stuff in her house. And she is as proud of her house as if she owned a mansion. And she takes Carla over and she says, this is my bedroom. Now, it's all just one room. And it's all just one large circular room. And she takes her over and she says to Carla, she says, this is my bedroom. This is my bed. Look at my bed. And all it was, again, was just a thin piece of cloth that was stretched out on the packed mud inside of that hut. And that was her bedroom. And she was just... Happy as a pig and slop that she had a beautiful house and a beautiful bedroom and she just loved it. And yet there's so many in this country that really have some pretty nice things as compared to the world. And yet we complain and have a difficult time thinking of anything that we have to be thankful for. And I want to say, why is it that God would be obligated to give us anything else in life if we could not be thankful for what it is that he has already given to us? And so the Bible says, where do wars come from? Where do fights come from? Where do family arguments come from when a kid in the house is mad and angry at his parents because they're not going to buy him some new gadget that he wants or some new pair of sneakers that he wants? He's mad at his parents because of that. He's upset and mad at them. his parents are working as hard as they can in order to keep food on the table and have a roof over their head. And he's mad at his parents. And yet, where did that fight come from in the family? It came from a kid who was very wicked and ungrateful and was full of covetousness, and that's where the argument came from. The Bible says that this matter of lust, it is so powerful, the covetousness and the greed of lust is so powerful that way before it ever causes an outward conflict, it has already caused an inward conflict. And that's what the Bible says. And it asks us the question now about where these wars come from. Uh, and it says that um, these fightings are coming. It says... Um, uh, uh, In verse number three, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Then it says that you may consume it. It says that you may consume it upon your own lusts. I want to say that there is a battle then that rages and a battle then that takes place in our own heart and in our own life because of a discontentment and a constant desire for something bigger and something newer and something better than what it was that we had before so where do these wars come from they come obviously from our lusts from our desire for self pleasure and self advancement and that's where the wars come from but not only there also look in verse number four the bible says you adulterers and adulterers know you not and then here's what it says it says the friendship A friendship with the world, a friendship with the world is enemy with God. So I want to say that first, we have a problem with lusts, and that is an out-of-control desire for self-pleasure. And so we battle with that, and we have a problem then with this matter of lust. But then also, that that lustfulness causes us to embrace the source, what we believe is to be the source of our pleasure. So with our lustfulness and with our covetousness, we come as a believer, as a child of God, we come over to the world and we hug and embrace the world as if the world is a source of all of our provisions and pleasures. And so we regard then the world greater than God. We regard then the world as being something more important than God. We regard then a friendship and a closeness and a connection to the world as something more important than our personal walk with God. The Bible tells in First John chapter number two. And just turn there if you would, because I want us to actually see that, because we're close to it. Just turn towards the end of your Bible, just four, five, six pages in First John, if you would, and then in chapter number two. First John in chapter number 2. Listen, I want to say for us as parents, let me just say, Dad, let's check ourselves up with these verses right here from the Bible. Mama, let's check ourselves up with these verses from the Bible. There was a, um, uh, a preacher's um, uh, family, and they were in the ministry, in full-time ministry. And um, the wife would go out, and she would take walks. And uh, as she would go out, and she would take walks, she always loved to walk over in this particular neighborhood, because it was a really nice neighborhood with really big and fancy houses, and she would bring her kids along with her, Christian lady, in the ministry, her husband preaching his heart out for God, and she would go through these high-end, nice neighborhoods and take her kids to these neighborhoods and say, boy, that's a beautiful house. I'd love to have a house like that. Boy, I'd I'd love to have a house like that. Oh, I'd love to have a house like that. Oh, I'd love to have a house like that. Oh, I'd love to have a house like that. and it took her heart. There's no. Is was, was this a no-brainer? It took her heart away from God, and she started resenting the ministry because it stood between her and the good things that she wanted from this world. Amen. Amen. And so the Bible says, First John chapter two and verse fifteen. It says, "Love not the world." neither the, what now? Things. Let's let's not, let's not rush along here. Love not the world, neither the, what now? Things. So the Bible's not just simply talking about the world as terra firmer, as this earth with the soil and the water and all of that. But it's talking to us about the things that the world seemingly can provide for us. And so it says, love not the world, neither the, Things that are in the world. Obviously, that's what covetousness is. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Saying the exact same thing of what we saw in James 4 and verse number 4, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's an enemy against God. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's interesting that when the devil took Jesus, fasted 40 days and 40 nights and tempted him in the wilderness, he tempted Jesus or he brought temptations to the Lord Jesus Christ in these three areas, causing then for Jesus to see things that he would physically desire to have and then to touch or to have uh, things that would bring pleasure, if you would, to these physical bodies, a lust of the flesh and bring pleasure to these physical bodies or lust of the eyes and seeing things that were bigger and better and nicer and newer and new and improved and all of those things. And then it says also, the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. And then it says the pride of life just to be somebody, just to, to be worshiped. The world uses a phrase and they call it like a rock star. What they mean by that is that if I could have a position that people looked up to me and praised me for and screamed out my name and fainted and passed out when they were close to my presence and if I could have a job also where I made lots of money so that I could buy whatever it is that I wanted to buy and that phrase where they talk about like a rock star is the exact modern day fulfillment of exactly what God tells us not to do in 1 John chapter 2 to have the pride of life To have the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes, things, 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 and pleasures, pleasures, pleasure, and prominence, prominence, prominence. And the Bible says those things then are enmity with God. It literally sets itself 180 degrees out of sync with a personal walk with God. So where do wars come from? They come from our lusts, our lusts, which is covetousness and the battle that rages inside of us, the desire for more and more. Where does that wars come from? It comes with a, from a friendship with the world, a desire to be, um, be connected to this world and to a desire to, um, uh, to, um, to have more and more of the things of this world. And then also I want us to see in verse number eight, and that is that where do these wars come from? In verse number eight, the Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And then it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. And then here's the statement, ye, what now? Double-minded. A double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. And so the Bible tells us about this matter of being double-minded. Double-minded is if you would have two-spirited. It deals with a matter of vacillating, going back and forth between and between Uh, Elijah asked him how long to halt she between two opinions. And it's a matter of uh, desiring to please God and then also putting ourself on the throne and wanting to take care of number one, ourself. And it's this matter of a a double-mindedness, which no doubt relates something to lust. No doubt it relates something also to a friendship with the world. But God identifies for us and says that these wars come from our lusts. They come from friendship with the world, worldliness. Believers that act like, talk like, smell like, look like, go to the places that all of the unsaved world goes to. there's, there's, There's just the stench of the world on believers in Christ. And really, there's no difference at all. We have this... Modern-day so-called Christianity, and I use the word very carefully because Christian means Christ-like. And it and is a very high standard. It is not kindergarten uh, faith in Christ, okay? It is a very high standard for Christianity. But there's this modern-day uh, interpretation of Christianity that you can live any way you want to live as long as you say, I love Jesus, You just got to talk about it. I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. Me and the man upstairs, we're really close. I love Jesus. All you got to do is just say you love Jesus. And that like somehow covers a multitude of worldliness. But God calls us to be separate. And he calls us to not be in love with the world. And he calls us then not to to, um, have a friendship with the world and not to be controlled by lust and not to be double-minded, but to have a, a dedication, if you would, to the Lord and so God wants us to do that. Now I want us if you would just to see this and that is how it is that we get victory over these wars. They're very commonplace. They've existed since uh, the fall of sin in the garden of Eden and they've existed in every nation in every language and tongue with every group of people at every different age and time Upon planet Earth, they have always existed, and these wars and these battles that take place, and this raging worldliness and raging love of the world is something that has always been present. But I want you to understand them that there is a, a breaking of that, if you would, and there is a help that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. First look if you would at verse number six these aren 't necessarily just in order, but I want to give this to you in verse number six, the Bible says, but he giveth more, what now? Grace. We have a theme for the year in 2018 by grace. And I want you to understand that grace gives far more victory in the Christian life than the law ever could do the grace of God comes and strengthens us and encourages us. It is that divine power and influence upon our hearts and our lives that draws us towards the Lord Jesus Christ and leads us in a path in a way that is pleasing to God. The Bible says then that he giveth more grace. Now, I want you to understand then that that grace that God gives to us helps us to be able to get victory over the draw and the attraction of the world, the attraction of uh, the allurement of things and more things and more desires, not being content with such things as we have, but always wanting something more and bigger and better. But the grace of God and just falling in love with Jesus and just his favor towards us draws us towards him and in turn gives us strength. And helps to give us victory in our life as we go forward day by day. Also though, not only that, he giveth more grace. The Bible says then in verse number seven, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves to God. So we want to understand that the grace of God will give us victory in this war of the flesh. We understand also that submitting to God, this matter of yielding to him, and this matter of placing yourself under his authority, uh, will help also to give us victory uh, over uh, this uh, this uh, war in the flesh. What we do is that we make this decision to say, we're actually going to see both sides of this, but we make this decision to say, I am going to stop fighting against God, and I am going to start working with God. I'm just going to fall in line or fall in rank behind him. And I'm going to allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. And I want to yield any personal decision or personal uh, um, um, rights that I might have. I want to yield those to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to submit myself unto him. So the Bible says to submit yourselves to God. It goes on from that. And it says to resist the devil, to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then it says to resist the devil. We stop fighting against God. We start working with God. And then we start fighting against the devil. To resist, then, to means to stand against. It means to put up a fight. The Bible says to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And then it says whom resist steadfast, in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished uh, in your brethren that are in the world in First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. And so we are then to be aware of the fact that there's a very real enemy, the devil. And then we are to determine that we are going to resist and push back and fight against sin and not just simply give in to it again and again and again. It's amazing that some people have so little... Uh, We would call it willpower, but just so little uh, commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and so little dedication to him that they seem to fall at every little resistance or obstacle that comes their way. But we are determined then that we are going to resist the devil and stand uh, against his work in our life. So the Bible tells us then that we are to submit to God. We are to resist the devil. It tells in verse number eight, it gives to us the victory. It says to draw nigh to God, draw nigh to God. And I love the rest of that verse, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. He will draw closer to you. Do you understand that? And, and, and again, I just say this, this, this um, illustration doesn't hold true in, in every way, but it's it is a visual thing for us. I think we understand that is that if you are playing checkers or chess, but if you're playing checkers, uh, somebody starts off with, they move first Then, by the rules of the game, they can't move a second time until after you move. So they move and then you respond back and you move and they move and then you move. And so this is what's interesting to God. God says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. So you say that doesn't make sense that We are the initiator of fellowship with God. Yeah, I wanna say that obviously that's not true at all because God has already made the first move. And that is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus already came into the world and he already died for our sins and rose again and he already paid our sin for us so that we could be saved and so that we could have fellowship with him. He's already made the first move and now God says, it's your move. I want to say in just a moment, we'll give an altar call. And Let me say for many of us in here, it's your move. God's just waiting for you to say, I want to draw closer to you. I want to have a closer fellowship with you. I want to have a closer walk with you. I want to spend more time with you. And God says, it's your move. It's your move. You can make that decision. And if you will step to draw closer to the Lord, then he in turn will draw closer to you. And as you step to draw closer to the Lord, he in turn then will draw closer to you. Now I want to say one more thing that we need to see here also, or two, is we need to uh, understand about drawing closer to God in verse 8. And the last part of that verse we need to understand also. The matter of confessing our sins. We talked about that already. But it says in the last part of verse number 8, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And so we need to then confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we have a need then to be able to confess our sins and to ask for forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. To ask him to forgive us for our sins. And if we confess that sin, then he'll, he'll help us and draw us closer to him. Listen, listen now. If we sense, and I'm sure that all of us can. And I want to say that it's a need for every one of us. But let's just be honest and say for some, we are really almost controlled by this constant desire for things and bigger things and more things. And I want to say that if you have that pattern in your life, then it absolutely, positively must be confessed as sin to a holy God. You just have to come to God and say, God, this is sin. Just in the Ten Commandments, you said, Thou shalt not covet. And so I'm living with this desire to have more and bigger and more and more and and more and bigger and more and bigger. There's some people that just can't help themselves that they look at every relationship in their life as a possible opportunity for self-advancement. They got something they want to sell you whenever they see you. They got some angle that they're always angling towards. And that is just covetousness. And it's just wicked. It is something that needs to be laid under the blood of Jesus Christ. God did not give us people to use. We get it all messed up. God gave us things to use and people to love, but we turn around and we love things and we use people in order to get more things. We've had over the years, I remember there was a couple, sweet family in our church, and they invited this couple to come. And this couple came to church And they came to church with them, and then what they talked about, kind of the agreement was afterwards they were going to go over to the family in our church, they were going to go over to their house, and they were going to make their pitch to sell them whatever multi-level tiered marketing thing that they were selling, you know, because that's, you know, you get rich by selling to your friends, and your friends buy because they like you as a friend, and they feel some obligation to buy from you. I don't mind people selling things, just why do you gotta sell to your friends? Suck the wind out of the place, amen? There's plenty of people out there, just go sell to somebody. You don't have to use the Lord's church for personal advancement. So I'm telling you this, I'm being honest with you. I I had a sermon all laid out. I was just preaching. I didn't know anything about these people. I shook their hand before we started, didn't know anything about what they were. And I'm just ripping along in the service on Sunday night preaching. And I get onto I don't even know what it was, Amway or something like that. I don't know. It was years ago. I don't know. And it turns out that it was the exact thing they were selling. And I said, you use friendships in the church to sell things and to make money so you can get rich. I mean, it like sucked the wind out of that whole uh, arrangement that they had. So after the service, you know, after the service, uh, the guy at the church said, okay, let's go back to our house. They're like, no, we don't think so. We're just going to leave. We'll talk to you later on. And so he just left. And the guy in the church was kind of aggravated at me. And I said, I want to tell you two things. Number one, I want to tell you is that I had absolutely no clue whatsoever about why he was there who they were anything about it at all but God knew that's what I want you to understand number one but number two I want you to understand that the pattern of it is a very bad pattern now I'm not saying it's always evil always bad the pattern of it is a very bad pattern right it's the reason why they get any great invention and they want to sell it by multi-tier marketing friends selling to friends there was a car lot that they set up um, in Atlanta Georgia and we were started the church in La Petite Academy Daycare Center, which was by the mall. And right across the street, they built this mammoth car lot. And and they sold a bunch of cars, but here's what they did. What they did was they brought in a new salesman, woman, or whatever, and they pushed him and pumped him and said, you've got this high quota that you have to sell. If you sell this quota, you are going to be a rich dude. You are going to be so good. But but understand that you have the sales quota, and we can't keep you on as a salesman unless you reach that quota. Well... Everyone knows what's going to happen. It always happened the same way, but just, you know, a, uh, a person looking to really strike it rich and, 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 and get rich quick, you know, they were excited about this, so they would come in as a salesman, and they had a quota the very first month to sell five cars, the very next month to sell ten cars or something like that. It was a high quota, and so obviously what they would do is they'd start to try to sell and couldn't sell very many, so then they would start dogging all their friends, so they would get their friend to come in and to buy a new car. They'd get their mom and dad to come in and buy a new car. They'd get their uncle and aunt to come in and buy a new car. Get somebody else that they knew to come in and buy a new car. Get somebody else to come in and buy a new car. That worked one month. That worked two months. They used up all their friends, burned all their bridges, and destroyed every friendship that they had. Then they didn't meet their quota. They booted them out, which left room to bring in some other person to do the same thing all over again. But but listen, it's just listen to the statement. It's just the way of the world. Right? And so I think it's important for us to understand <clears throat> that the whole pattern of that is dangerous because it is a pattern of covetousness. And covetousness is something that must be confessed as sin you have to deal with it. Just really clear, really straightforward. You have to name it for what it is. You have to deal with it as sin. And you have to confess it as sin. And to do that, let me just look at one more thing and we're done. In order to do that, you're going to need to humble yourself a little bit. In verse number 10, the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. See, all of what we've talked about in this sermon and what needs to be done, the remedy of it, all those things that we've talked about are things that the flesh does not like. But because the flesh doesn't like it, you just have to humble yourself in order to be able to do it, right? If you're not going to be controlled by greed and by covetousness, then you've got to humble yourself if you're not going to put things and more things and bigger things and better things as first place in your life, then you're just gonna have to humble yourself to where you are truly not number one in your life. Listen, all of us ultimately look out for number one. The only question is, who is number one in your life? All of us take care of number one. The only question is, Who is number one in your life? If you are on that throne, then yes, covetousness, lusts, friendship with the world is going to be normal, everyday life for that person. And it needs to be confessed as sin. Amen? Let's come to the Lord in prayer, if we would, all over. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. To learn more about our church and its helpful ministries, visit us on the web at www.gospellightbaptist.org. If we can be a blessing to you in any way, let us know.